Good to see everybody. Um, in RUF, one statement I say each week, you'll know it, that we believe you are never so bad that you're beyond the reach of God's grace. And at the same time, you are never so good that you're beyond the need of God's grace. Um, I love to remind you all of that, um, that if you are a Christian, it's primarily not because of some clever choice you made um, or um, good decisions you've done um, or how smart you were or some knowledge that you've had or the theology you know. That the main Christian, the, the main reason you and I, if you're a Christian here, are Christians, is because of God's loving kindness in pursuit of you. Um, calling you to himself. I heard a pastor one time speak about how, you know, sometimes we think of conversion as this um, point where we finally decide that we're going to turn and start walking towards God. But really, conversion is about kind of the image of us running as fast as we can away from God and God running faster and catching up to us and tackling us and holding us and changing us. That the, that the Bible teaches that we are rebellious and yet God intervenes. He lovingly turns us back to him. That this is the story of scripture. So some of you may be here tonight and you are still in that running phase. You're running. And my prayer is that you would recognize God's loving pursuit of you. Um, you know, that you, that you would perhaps want to be tackled by him and held by him. Others of you may be here and you're just really worn out. You know, maybe you are really working hard at trying to do the right things. You know, you're coming to RUF or you're reading your Bible, you're attending small groups, you're doing your quiet time, you're praying. And for you, my prayer is that you would feel God's grip of you as he holds you. That you would recognize that his strength is what is holding you up. And it is far greater than the amount of strength that we have of having to grasp onto him. That you would delight in the Father's loving embrace of you. Um, so we are finally at a turning point in our series in Ephesians. It's what we've been going over this semester. And so I've shared in the past weeks that Ephesians can be split up into two sections. So we have chapters one through three, which we just finished. And that was what we believe. What are we to believe about God? That he is creator, he's redeemer, he is working, he is always at work. And so now we get to chapters four through six. And Paul gives us what, what we do in light of that. What are the practical applications of what we do based on the belief that we have about who God is? And just to repeat what I've said the past couple of weeks, that this order is so important for us to remember as Christians. Um, one commentator said this, you know, our belief fixes the trends of our footsteps. That what we believe always causes us to move and do things. Uh, and Paul greatly understands this as he spends these first three chapters of the book just expounding upon this incredible plan of God and who he is and his creation and his redemption through Jesus Christ. 
that if you were to give one thing that sets Christianity apart from every single other religion, um, and that one thing would be that our being comes before our doing. In other words, every single other religion will say that doing establishes your being. But in Christianity, it's flipped. That it, it, it's not that we do things so that, um, so that we will be accepted or we will be uh, gaining some sort of blessing or enlightenment and so on. But Christianity, God calls us as his people and he establishes relationship with us not based on our doing, but based entirely on his grace. And then after establishing our being, God then shows us the life that is consistent with what he's already established us in. Now, this confuses some of you here tonight. Cause you to like really kind of question if this is really true, because the Christianity you have always encountered has been performing for God so that you will be worthy enough of his love. And you've gotten this idea by relationships that you've had with friends or relationships you've had with family. And so you primarily uh, work from a fear that if you don't do enough, at the end of the day, you are not going to be loved. But this is why Paul says at the beginning of this passage that we're about to read, that you are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That we walk from our calling as children of God, not for it. Um, So I've shared this illustration several times with some of you. So I apologize if you're hearing something that I'm just repeating myself. Uh, But I think it's a good illustration. Uh, And I have a friend who has several kids. And when they were younger, he was in the kitchen and they were outside playing. And he hears this like shrill come from his daughter and he runs out there and he finds his three-year-old son peeing on his daughter. So he scoops him up and he brings him inside and he says, Tucker, you are a moor and moors don't pee on their siblings. And in a way, this is what Paul is pointing to here. You've been called as a child of God and therefore... Walk in a manner worthy of this calling. What does it mean to be a part of this family? It's who you are. So let's read together this passage in Ephesians 4, and I want us to unpack. What does it look like for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we have been called? So Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness with patience bearing with one another in love eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is over all and through all and in all but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of christ's gift Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. And saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended in the lower regions, the earth. He who descended 
is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all, all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray together. Dear God, thank you for this time that we can hear from you, um, that we can understand more about you, uh, that we can learn what it means to walk in your ways. I pray that you would uh, be with us tonight, that you would shape our hearts, you would change us, uh, you would make us into people who follow, um, people who are worthy of the calling to which we have been called. It's in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so what does it look like for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which yet we have been called? Uh, and I think Paul gives an overview, and I'm going to just give it three things from this passage. Um, that we maintain unity, number one. Number two, we recognize diversity within that unity. And then number three, we seek maturity. Uh, so number one, what does it look like to walk in a manner worthy of the calling? Well it, well, it looks like us maintaining unity, us moving towards each other, united. So for verses one through six, we have Paul emphasizing our union to each other. And notice in verse two, how he says we are to maintain unity. We are to be humble and gentle and patiently bear with one another. Now, what this points to is a community that doesn't seek to lift themselves up as individuals. It's not a community that asks these questions. What is in this for me? Or uh, what do I get out of this relationship? Or um, how does this church even meet my needs? Or how can I be cared for here? Or um, do I like the music? Or do I prefer something else? Or did I get my preferences met? Do I like this? Do I like that? Or, or should I go to a different community that maybe meets my preferences? So if those are the questions, and I think often if we're really honest, a lot of times we enter in to these spaces with what's in it for me. And if those are the questions that you are leading with when it comes to getting involved with a community of people, that is not the characteristics that Paul is pointing to when he says, be eager to maintain unity. He says humility and gentleness. And, and those are words that we kind of lift up in our culture and say, yeah, we really want to be like that. But back in Paul's day, people didn't really like the word humility because it meant that you were lowly. You were not looked at. You were unimportant. And Paul says, this is what you're seeking out. But one of the main descriptions of Jesus was that he was lowly and meek and gentle. And he came to serve, not to be served. He emptied himself, taking the form of a certain, 
servant and dying so that he could provide what we need. And this is the characteristic of a Christian community. We embody Jesus. That maintaining unity in this community, it looks a lot more like moving to the person that just really annoys you and trying to get to know them and trying to ask them how you can be their friend. It means not judging the person who may not be as mature as you or as knowledgeable as you are or um, as loving as you or is outwardly displaying some certain sin that you don't have. And it's considering them above yourself. It's being patient and bearing with others. Like these are words that are hard. This is challenging for us, right? It's hard to count others more important. It's hard to be in relationship with those that we dislike, (laughs) their personality, or that annoy us, or that we even get are angry with, right? But that's why it's so important to recognize that we don't do this just to do it. But we do it because we recognize that we have been brought into the unity of God himself. That God as a triune God of three persons has always been in relationship with himself. Which means that being in relationship to one another is an intrinsic part of who we are as the people of God created in his image. It does not make sense to worship a God of community without yourself being in community. Look at how many times Paul repeats the word one in verses four through six. Seven times he emphasizes that we have one body, one spirit. You were called into one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who, over, who is over all and through all and in all. We maintain unity because that is who we are as a people. We are one through him. We maintain unity not just because it's something nice to do or because it gives us activities and fun things to participate in. We maintain unity because it's vital to our lives. Would you mind cracking the door a little bit? Or or they're welcome to come in, but... Um, so there's the story of a newer Christian who had visited an older Christian and he had met to talk about his dislike of organized religion. That is just, you know, something he wants to avoid. And so as they were chatting at his fireplace, uh, the young Christian asked if it was okay, if he just followed Christ on his own, there's other stuff he can do without having to be involved with all of those people. And the old man didn't say anything, but all he did was simply lean forward, and with his tongs, he picked up a glowing red-hot coal from the fireplace and just sets it on the hearth. And they sat in silence as it went from a bright orange to just a cool black and just slowly got colder. And so the young man basically had his answer from what this, uh, this older man was pointing to, that some of you are here and are still operating in this way 
that you can just do this Christian thing on your own. All you, all you really need is your Bible, maybe the internet to watch a good sermon or hear something, uh, or a journal. And you can avoid being in a church because that's just too many things you dislike about. Maybe you don't like the hypocrites there, or you don't feel connected, or you've been hurt by people from churches. And I think what Paul is pointing to here is that the exact thing you need in order to truly thrive as a Christian is your connection to local community of Christians with warts and all. (laughs) That what we often need are not more sermons or insights or books that we just read on our own, but we need to be in relationship with God's people. We need to maintain unity because it grows us into looking even more like Jesus, who is humble, gentle, patient, bearing with others in love. And the church is the arena that you're able to do this with each other. But also Paul, he not only uh, speaks of the unity we seek, but we recognize the incredible gifts of diversity that we have within that unity. That it's not all warts. That there's gifts. So we recognize our diversity. In verses 7 through 12, Paul paints this picture for us of King Jesus on his throne showering gifts to his people. And in Europe long ago, when a new king or a new queen was installed, a lot of times gifts were given to the people. Um, of that region as sort of a way to celebrate this new reign. Um, Or sometimes there was a custom where like wealthy landowners, they would ride ride down the road in a carriage and toss gold coins to people out the window. And the message that was being shown was this person who had been blessed beyond measure was inviting the people around him to receive part of that blessing and rejoice with him. That the gifts that Jesus gives us are a part of the ways that we worship him in our unity. And that he doesn't give everyone the same gifts, but as one body, we receive all of those gifts from each other. It's how God has designed his church to be a diverse group of people. That he grows by having those gifts used with one another. I can remember years ago before I was married... And I don't know if some of y'all have done this already, but you come up with the list. Y'all know what I'm talking about? The list of your future spouse, what you want to see. You know, you write down, I hope they are this and that and that, right? I think we've all done it. And I can remember doing that. And I can remember writing down things um, that I was interested in. And man, I really hoped she would be interested in it. Um, And personality qualities, you know, that that I had that I hoped she would have too. That we could share in that. And things that I was passionate about that I hoped that she would get passionate in the same way. So in other words, my list really looked a lot like me. (laughs) Something to think about as you write these lists. And then I met Valerie. And one of the reasons I actually know that God loves me and cares for me 
is because he gave a spouse that is not like me. And it's very different from me. That she has personality qualities that I don't have. Um, She has interests that I didn't have, that I didn't care about. She has passions that I wasn't as passionate about. And God has used her, used those differences that Valerie has to challenge me, to make me into a better friend, a better lover, a better person, that I needed her. Her differences are a huge blessing to me. Even though they looked much different than my list. And it it wasn't always easy either. It still isn't. And this again is what the church looks like. That God gives us apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers to equip us to become better friends, better lovers, better people. And he also gives you individual qualities and gifts in order that you also will equip others just by being a part of their lives. We maintain unity and we recognize the importance and need for our diversity. We need each other. And so finally, what does this unity and diversity do? It causes us to grow and to mature. That again, this community, it's not just a a club of diverse people that love one another and serve one another in their spare time, but it's part of how God changes us and shapes us into looking more and more like Jesus every day. That there is an incredible purpose for it. So finally, we seek maturity. That we are united through our calling as Christians who worship the one true God, and he showers us with diverse gifts, And this enables us to seek true and lasting change in our lives. Verse 14 says, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves carried about, by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Have any of y'all ever been in like a small boat? Like on deep sea fishing or something like that? So I went deep sea fishing with uh, another family one time. And the dad started off okay, uh, but wasn't fully prepared for all of the rocking and all of the waves and all of the wind. And let's just say he became really sick uh, from both ends. Yeah. It was quite an experience. Uh, But really, that's the idea here that that, that Paul's talking about, that, that we shouldn't continue to be overcome with seasickness wrought to and fro by this and that. That the church needs you and you greatly need the church. That as I meet with some of you, the tossing and the turning and the confusion and the questions and the doubts that I see y'all wrestling with shows how much you need to be equipped, how much you need to be a part of God's people. That it's actually vital for your health. And so as I close, one of the things we believe here is that every single person on campus is welcome to come. Every single person to belong to this community. That no matter their current beliefs about God or their current lifestyle or their sinful patterns that they're currently walking in, all are welcome. 
into this place. And I actually encourage you to continue to invite others. Bring them into this place. Bring them into this community. And it's not just so that we just have this cool, inclusive, diverse group. But it's because we believe that the gospel really does change us. That it brings us into a church that equips us with all that we need to flourish as human beings. Created in God's image. To have true lasting relationships. Do you want to be healed from your addictions? From your traumas? Have the ability to forgive those that have hurt you? Or seek forgiveness from those that you've hurt? Everyone needs this. And God uses his community to bring about truth in love, as it says in verse 15. That the truth of the gospel is that Jesus accomplished the unity that all of us need with God by willingly taking on all of the sin that separated us from God so that we can be fully united with him forever. Therefore, we can actually experience lasting love and are free to come to him with all of ourselves, knowing that we are united not based on who we are, not based on what you provide, but what, on Je- what Jesus provides. And that frees us to commit to one another and to love one another as the body of Christ, knowing that we have received all we need from him to grow and change as his people. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for... Um, Thank you for your word. Thank you for your church. Thank you for um, making a way for all of us to be brought into your family, brought into your community, to experience your love, your forgiveness, your restoration. So I pray for this particular community of people, of students, uh, and that you would continue to equip them to embody your son. That they would be able to minister to one another and to others on campus. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.